you're with us today and uh, had a good time in our first service. But don't tell them this, but I just like the second service people so much better. Amen? Don't tell them now. We're glad you're here. Open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. And uh, there's my friend Frank right there. Frank, raise your hand right there. Yesterday, Frank received Jesus Christ as a Savior yesterday. Amen? Isn't that good? We're so excited for you, Frank. Man, I love you, man. I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, I was, I was thinking about that all day yesterday. So praise the Lord for that. Go by, get to know him if you don't. Frank and Sarah and uh, their, their family, great folks, and we rejoice with you. Acts chapter 8 is where we are, and if you remember, we picked up there last week, and what we picked up with is a revival going on. Uh, there was revival in Samaria, and if you remember Samaria, uh, there was an exile. There was a, a disagreement. There was distance between them and the Jews. They were Jews, but they were only half Jews, and during the time of 2 Kings 17, during the Assyrian Empire, uh, the Exodus, and, and people, the Assyrians moved some back in, and so some of the new people married some of the leftover Jews, and that became the Samaritans. And we saw last week that the, uh, the Jews so much despised them. There was a, they had their own uh, fake religion. They uh, really uh, apostatized so many things that they wouldn't even walk through. They would rather cross the Jordan, walk around. Again, remember when Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria, uh, the other disciples, the apostles were shocked that Jesus would go there. But yet now we saw in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, that, that he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be witnesses to me. Where? Well, Jerusalem, they'd been doing that. But also he says, where else? Judea, Samaria, even unto the uttermost parts. So what we saw last week was pain, persecution. Push them out of Jerusalem into Samaria and Judea. Pain pushed them. Pain pushed the gospel. Pain moved them and positioned them where they would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in places they had not yet been, but places that God had told them to go. So we saw then Philip, and we were introduced to him in Acts chapter 6. There were seven. We called them, I believe, in my opinion, that's where the deacons were called. But out of those seven men, two names are familiar, Stephen and Philip. Stephen's been stoned. We saw that chapter 6-7, and now we introduce to Philip. Philip's gone to Samaria, and, and man, there's been a revival. Lives are being transformed. People are being healed. Uh, folks that had demonic activity were being freed from that. Uh, their, their, their minds that were hearing all the, the voices, the pain, the, they're being freed from that. That's the power of the Word of God, the Spirit of God. Folks are getting saved, and, and in the verse number 8 of chapter 8, remember that? There was great joy in that city. Because there's always great joy when Jesus comes in. There's always great joy when people get saved. There's always great joy when he frees you from uh, that, those bondage and the pain and it's there. He transforms lives. He transforms homes. He transforms communities. And this is what's going on. And but with that in mind, we're going to pick up in verse number 9 today with that, uh, that conjunction, but... Uh, but but there's something else about to happen as well, and sometimes those conjunctions are good things, like but God, you know. And there's a problem, but God. But this time, uh, it's a it's a it's a problem that follows where God's been working. So if you found your place and you're able, would you stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word? Let's pick up in verse number nine. Uh, but there was a certain man called Simon, uh, which before time in the same city used sorcery. And he bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed, that's the other people in Samaria, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized, both men and women. And when Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and he's following him now, and he's wandering and beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Now let's jump down to uh, verse number 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent thereof of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me. 
that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. Let's pray. Father, this morning, thanks for the, Lord, just a, just a good singing today, God. Just a, we're singing about you, Lord, your salvation, your gift, your forgiveness, Lord. We're singing about what you did for us on the cross, Lord, in Christ alone. Lord, it's, it's you and nothing else, Lord, that saves us, and we praise you for that. Would you meet with us today? Speak to us through your word. Give liberty, Lord. I pray for ears to be open, spiritual ears, spiritual eyes to behold, Lord. Illuminate your word for us. Meet with us today, and we'll praise you for that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Uh, we find ourselves in, in this place now again, but there was a certain man, and it's a basic principle in Scripture is this, that wherever God sows uh, true believers, wherever God sows truth, wherever God sows his word, Satan will eventually sow his counterfeits. Uh, two Spanish con men attempted to sell a forged Francisco, hopefully I say his name right, Goya painting. This was 2015. But it backfired spectacularly after their client, supposedly a rich Arab sheik, paid them counterfeit banknotes. So the forgery people are, are selling it for counterfeit money. The middleman who brokered the deal vanished with the only genuine money from the, from the deal. Finally, the two con men were arrested, and the two con men found out that the, the 1.7 million Swiss francs, which were counterfeit, they attempted to deposit them in a bank in Geneva. Uh, so now they were detained by French customs. And the moral of the story is this, is that the con men got conned. You know, what we find here in the Bible is a story of a, a potential con man. Now, we won't spend all our time here today, but in this chapter, chapter 8, there are two stories of two different men. Uh, there's a story of a, a true, uh, authentic profession of faith. That's going to be the Ethiopian eunuch, and we'll look at him in two weeks because we've got a guest preacher next week. Is that next week we got a guest preacher? Right next Sunday? Yes, it is. Okay. So we got a guest preacher next week, uh, but the week after, we're going to look at the Ethiopian eunuch, which is an authentic faith, uh, faith. But this week we find a, really a man who's just conning. We find this man uh, a sorcerer. And the Bible does say he believed. What in the world is that talking about? We're going to talk about that today and, and see if his faith is authentic. And then in a couple of weeks we're going to look at authentic faith. And again, isn't it neat that the Lord put these uh, two for us in one book, in one chapter? I love how the Lord gives comparisons. Uh, again, uh, we think of John 3, John 4. You have a man, you have a woman, one at night, one at day. Uh, one was uh, religious, one was really worldly, and, and, and one was outside. And, and we just look at all the things that were going on. And, and yet the scripture lays for us something that's not real and something that is real so you and I can behold and see that for ourselves. And we're going to begin to dig into that today. We think, though, that this is not a shocking thing, that we would see forgeries, we would see counterfeits in Scripture. It was true back in John the Baptist's day in Matthew chapter 3. It was true in Jesus' day. He said this in Matthew 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, one convert to Judaism. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. We would see it back in, uh, and again in Matthew 13. The, the, remember the parable of the, the, the tares and the wheat? Uh, that's in Matthew 13. And, and another parable he put forth saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came in and, and he sowed tares among the wheat. The Bible talks about when those blades begin to spring up and, and the men were worried. And they said, well, should we go and gather up all the tares? And the Lord said, no, let them grow up together lest you get the wheat with the tares. And when you've got them all together, then you're going to bind the tares and you're going to burn the tares. The Lord was warning us since they begin to preach the gospel, there's always been counterfeits. Back in the Garden of Eden, a counterfeit message. Uh, all through scripture, counterfeit messages that are contrary to the word of God. The Apostle Paul dealt with it, Acts 13. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, he said this, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. You see, the enemy can come in as a lion to devour, be sober, be vigilant, right, for your adversary. But when that approach fails, he comes in as a serpent to deceive. Satan's tool in this case was a sorcerer named Simon. 
Now, Philip has come to Samaria. He's preaching. We looked at that last week. People are getting help. People are getting healed. There's great joy in verse number 8. But now this layman, this layman from chapter 6, Philip, is going to come face to face with a, a sorcerer. This is demonic activity is what he's doing. Demonic activity. Divinations. We've seen other sorceries. Dabbling in the occult. And he's coming now. And, and he had some kind of power that was demonic that was there. But now he's about to be challenged by the God of the universe and the message of the gospel. Uh, verse number 13 again, when Simon himself believed also. Uh, what do we do with that? The end of the chapter is going to give us again th that contrast that's there. Simon the sorcerer, I believe, was a man who had belief, but not a belief in the right place. You see, you can believe. The Bible says in James, even the devils believe. But it's not that you have faith, it's where your faith rests upon or whom your faith rests upon. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day. What day? The day of judgment, the day we stand before the Lord. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we not cast out devils? In thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye, worker of, ye workers of iniquity, or ye that work iniquity. So again, we find there's been counterfeits since the beginning, and there are counterfeits today. And what we find here with Simon is a, a, a disgenuous, a, a, not an authentic faith. And with the Ethiopian eunuch, we find an authentic faith. What do they look like? What do we see? Why did God put those here for us today? For that today, we're going to look at just three thoughts concerning this man, Simon the sorcerer. First of all, he had a wrong view of self, a wrong view of self. Let's pick up in verse number 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and he bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed. They knew him, and the least to the greatest, the rich to the poor, the educated to the uneducated, the powerful to the not powerful, saying, this man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because of that a long time. He'd been there in that city. He had bewitched them with sorceries. So here's this man, and he's been in the community. He's been there a long time. And with his demonic abilities, you say, you mean there's some demonic power? Go back and think about just uh, Moses going back into Egypt. And you remember when uh, uh, Moses, God says, take your rod and throw it down and it becomes a snake. And you remember the, mu the musicians, not musicians, magicians, uh, maybe the musicians as well, I don't know. But the magicians, they threw their staffs down, they became snakes. And then Moses, a snake, ate theirs and he picks it back up by the tail and becomes a rod again. You see, there is some, some power with that demonic world. But can I tell you what? The God is greater. God is greater. So this man has influence in this area. And now all of a sudden, he's a big name. He's something special in his heart and mind. He's got influence in the town. He's been deceiving people. He's been tricking people. And boy, sometimes people will say that about the gospel. They'll say that about church. Uh, can I tell you what? The Bible doesn't deceive. The Bible is true. The Bible enlightens. The Bible makes men free. It's the Bible that transforms. It's the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the power of God, by the Son of God that makes those changes in our lives as believers. And so here he is. But now everybody's getting saved. Lives are being transformed. Uh, we see in verse number 12. Uh, but when they believed, Philip, the preaching concerning the kingdom of God. So now he's beginning to lose his influence. You see, we look back already. And what have we learned in Acts? You see, uh, uh, the enemy, Satan, tried uh, money as a way to stop the church, Ananias and Sapphira. Then he tried murder with Stephen, and now he's trying mimicry. He's trying to imitate, if you will. He had a willing agent. He would have had to go through this conversion to, to influence uh, from the inside, the church. That's from John Phillips. We could go through and over time, and again, it's not in the Bible, but history would say there's a lot of literature about this damn, that man named Simon or Simon Magus that he actually became the influencer or the leader of Gnosticism, a false doctrine that has, the church has battled even through today. So Simon enjoyed a reputation. He had established himself with a name. People spoke of him. They were in awe of him. They were impressed with his mysterious, magical powers. He cultivated their adulation. He announced that he was indeed a great person. Uh, he was inflated with pride. Uh, he had fallen not only into the clutches of the devil, but into the condemnation of the devil. And whenever God is at work in revival, 
watch out for Simon. Satan will always have somebody ready to infiltrate. He's always ready with a counterfeit. He did again and again have some power. He had a wide following. He'd been practicing his sorcery for a long time. But now here comes Philip. Philip's message and miracles. The Bible says again, they believe. The people in Samaria, verse 12. But verse 13, we see something different that he believed also. Man, what do we do with that? He was, he was there and he said he believed. But what did he believe? Wherever there's a belief, he did not have a regenerated soul. He was lost after he said he knew the Lord as he was. Uh, he was as lost as he was on the front end. He, however, though, he could fool Philip. He could fool Philip because he said he believed. He, he followed the Lord in a believer's baptism. But you know what? You might be able to, fill, uh, uh, to, to, to trick and deceive Philip, but you can't trick and deceive the Spirit of God. And so here they are now, and, and he is coming along with that. But the Bible says this. This is very interesting in verses thir verse 13. Now, after he baptized, he continued with Philip. That sounds good. Sounds like he's wanting to become a disciple and learn. But, though, he wandered beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. You see, he was following not the Savior, but the signs. He wasn't following the Master, but the miracles. So after he makes this, uh, I believe, false profession, gets baptized, he starts following Philip around and seeing things going on, and he goes, oh yeah, I, I want that. I want what the tricks, I, I want that, what you're doing to add to, to my bag of tricks and add to my bag of influence. He's watching. However, though, we see another, a little, another mid-story in between verses 14 through 18. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem, Peter and John, they heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them uh, Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. As for yet, they had not fallen on none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Now, if we're not careful, we can get a little confused with what just taken place. Uh, chapters 1 through 10 in Acts, we have to remember, there are very transitional uh, stories or transitional chapters. The Bible is transitioning from an Old Testament, an Old Covenant, to a New Covenant. You and I now, when you got saved, that moment you received Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God moved inside of you. If you're saved, the Spirit of God lives in you right now. You are sealed with the Spirit of God. However, though, in chapters 1 through 10, it's a transition. We go to Acts uh, chapter 2, and we find uh, the Jews coming at Pentecost, and, and they're saved. And, and what happened? They received the Spirit of God. And so then we find now the Samaritans receiving uh, the salvation as well. And then in chapter 10, we're going to find the Gentiles. It's a transition from Jew to half-Jew, Samaritan, to non-Jew, the Gentiles. It's a transition. And if we don't realize that, sometimes people can make bad doctrine uh, or false doctrine out of that which is recorded. Again, it's a pattern for us. God's pattern for today, again, is given in, in chapter 10. You believe, you receive the Spirit of God. Then you follow the Lord in a believer's baptism. It's dangerous to base any doctrine or practice on what is recorded there. Uh, again, those who claim we must be baptized to receive the gift of the Spirit have a hard time explaining what happens to the Samaritans. And those who claim that you have to lay on the hands here in chapter uh, 8 have a tough time with uh, just receiving the Spirit of God before baptism in chapter 10. So again, all of a sudden, those seem to be differ, differing from each other. If we don't understand, it's a transitioning. But what we know about Simon is he wasn't concerned about God. Everything in his life had been about him lifting him up, his influence in sorcery and bewitching people, deceiving people. Not only, though, did Simon have a wrong view of self, but he had a wrong view of salvation. He had a wrong view of salvation. Again, let's look at verse number 18. That when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Now, again, when you and I get saved today, the Holy Spirit moves right in. You say, well, why the delay here? Well, it makes great sense if we understand that. So who was there when, when the, the Jews got saved? Well, Peter was there. John was there. They were preaching. Remember Solomon's porch that was there. Uh, Peter's going to be there when the Gentiles get saved in chapter 10. And now we have Peter, John here, when the Samaritans. 
You remember how much hatred there was for the Samaritans? Well, it makes real sense. You see, if the Peter and John wouldn't have been there, they wouldn't have been able to lay their hands on them and watch them receive the Spirit of God. Then they would have not. There would have been more division. You see, there had been hundreds and hundreds of years of division between the Jews and the Samaritans. They wouldn't have been one in Christ. They wouldn't have been one together in the church. They would have been separated. But yet now, Peter and John. John will go back and tell those at Jerusalem, what is they going to say? Yeah, the, the Samaritans got saved. The Samaritans received the Spirit of God. They're saying, man, the Lord loves them. The Lord's saving them. The Spirit of God resides in them. Then the same thing's going to happen in chapter 10 with the Gentiles. So it's showing a connection all the way from Jew to Samaritan to Gentile. Those dots are being connected together. That's why you see Peter on the scene, Peter and John on the scene. Now, what's happening? What's taking place? This wrong view of salvation. So he sees them laying hands on that case, and he says, man, I want this. So verse number 20, he offers Peter a deal. And number 19, he says, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands may receive the Holy Ghost. And again, verse 18 says he offers them money for that. Can I, can I buy that from you? How much will this cost me if you give me this ability? And verse number 20, and Peter says to him, isn't Peter, by the way, so loving in the Bible? Isn't Peter so comforting with his words and soft? Here's what Peter says. Thy money perish with thee. Now, what do you mean by thy perish? Peter says, you're going to die and go to hell. And your money can go there also. That's pretty strong, isn't it? You're going to die and you don't know the Lord. And again, this is a man who back in verse 13 said, I believe. I went through a believer's baptism. But again, he's got some things messed up. Now, why is that? Look at the rest of the verse. Because that was thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You see, there's a problem here. You're trying to say that you can, you can buy, you can take, you can earn the gift of God. You see, friends, if you and I can earn or buy the gift of God, it has negated what Jesus did on the cross. For there are none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Listen now, if, if, if I could do it myself, if I could earn it, if I could buy it, then Jesus never needed to die on the cross. But guess what? We all come short of the glory of God. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing good I have to offer him. You see, it's the gift of God. Now, if I said to you, and, and I had Matt, I said, Matt, uh, man, I heard it's your birthday uh, this week, and Matt, I got you a present. Man, he goes, well, you didn't have to do that. I, said, I know I didn't have to. I got you a present. It's nice, a box. It's wrapped up. It's pretty. It's got paper. It's got bows. And I walk up to Matt. I said, Matt, I'm so excited about this gift. You're going to love this gift. And he gets excited about it. And right before he opens it, I said, now, Matt, I've got the receipt uh, in case it doesn't work out. And you could uh, get it back and, you know, trade it in or whatever. That's fine. And he gets ready to open it. I said, well, wait, wait, one more thing, Matt. Um, uh, that'll be uh, $473.84, please. I said, well, what do you mean? So well, I got this for you, but this is the cost. So if you'll go ahead and, and pay me, then I'll give you this gift. It's not a gift. If you got to buy it, if you got to earn it, but you can't, it's not a gift. And by the way, how do you put a price tag on forgiveness of sin? How do you put a price tag on that I miss hell and get to go to heaven? How do you put a price tag on that I'm no longer an enmity or an enemy of God, but now I'm a friend of God? How do you put a price tag on that? It is priceless. The gift of God. What is the gift of God? The gift of God is eternal life. It's forgiveness. It's heaven. But it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the gift. So again, he's got salvation wrong. He thought it was something different. 
You see, Philip's anointed preaching produced immediate results. In verse number 12, they believed. How did they believe? Verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. That name, we've been hearing that in the book of Acts. They heard from the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They heard the gospel. They heard the preaching. They heard those things. And people were believing because of the word of God. But what Simon wants is he doesn't want the master. He wants the miracles. He doesn't want the Savior. He wants signs. It's what he wants. It's like saying this. He doesn't want God. He just wants what God has to offer. He doesn't want God. He just wants access to the power of God. Years ago when I was 18 and I worked at the hospital, uh, I met a man that uh, uh, I talked to his friendly with, and I tried to share the gospel with him a little bit, and, and uh, I uh, invited him to church a couple times, and he, he was kind of a known uh, womanizer in the, in the hospital, you know, in the area. And so I, I said to him one time, I said, man, I'd love for you to come to church with me. And again, I'm 18, and he says, man, yeah, I think I'd like to. He said, church is a great place to meet girls, meet women. All of a sudden, I'm 18, I don't know what to do. I disinvited him to church. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't want you to come. Don't come. I didn't know what to say. I just knew I didn't, you know, want him messing with ladies at our church, you know. I, I didn't know. But I said to him, well, man, you need to get saved, and then you can come to church. I, I didn't really know, but you know what? You see, what he wanted? He, he wanted the benefit of a Christian wife without being a Christian. He wanted a loving home and a loving bride without the benefit of Christ. You see, that's what many people want. People want the benefit of God, the blessing of God, but they don't want God. It's what happens when we go through something as a country. There were times when we'd have uh, great things in our country. Would Man, we would repent. We'd call it to God. And, and then I, I think of things like 9-11. 9-11, we was all shocked. Man, my, my heart, my mind, your heart and your mind with what's going on in our country. And man, we were being overwhelmed. And, and you know, I begin to think maybe God will revive us. It'll be a revival. Maybe our country will turn back to God. And, you know, though it was a patriotic fervor for just a little bit, you know what I found out is our country never really repented back to God. You see, our country would like all the blessings of God, uh, the blessings that come with following the Lord, but we don't want the Lord. We just want what he has to offer. And Simon's this way. He, he, well, see, some people want the peace that comes from God. They want the, 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 the help. They want the, 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 the loving home. They want things that are the benefits of following God without God. It doesn't work that way. You can't, as Romans 1 says, serve the, the creation and ignore the creator. It doesn't work that way. It's the creator. And then we enjoy the benefits and the blessings that come with belonging to him and following him and obeying him. It's how it works. But yet so many people, so many people say, well, look, I, I, I'm going to do it my way. But yet I, I want this aspect of, of a blessing. I want this aspect of peace. Uh, there are blessings that come with being a child of God, but you only get them by being a child of God. And Simon had it wrong. He had it wrong in his salvation. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in there, go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few be that find it. You see, I remember years ago again, I was talking about a, a, with a doctor a little bit, and, and, and he said to me, he said, well, he said, Jesus really, uh, he really uh, uh, did a disservice to him by some of his teaching. He really, uh, uh, really uh, negated a lot of people. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, you know that stuff like I am the way? He said, he just turned a lot of people away. I said, but doc, he, he is the way. There's no other way. You know, we see in John 14, 6 that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father, listen now, but by me. The only way you get forgiveness of sin the only way you get heaven, the only way you get redeemed, the only way you get reconciled is through the person of Jesus. There's no other way. By the way, it's not Jesus plus anything. It's not, oh, I call him this, oh, we, we worship this, we do it that way. No, no. He said narrow is the way. It's singular focus. There's only one way, and his name is Jesus. 
That's him. He's the only way. No man, no man, no man cometh to the Father but by me. You say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, there's always three responses in the gospel, uh, in the Bible to the gospel. One is rejection. We think that again later on we'll see with in Acts where they laughed Paul. They laughed at him when he's preaching them at Mars Hill. Uh, there are those who said, we'll reconsider it. We'll think on that. And then there are those who received it. They received the gospel. That's always the response to the gospel. Receive, uh, maybe reconsider, or reject the gospel. All three of those will always be present. And yet here he is, and he's going through an outward motion. He put his covetousness into words. He wanted to be able to buy and sell, to market as a mere commodity the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the greatest gift God can give to a man. The Holy Spirit, again, a member of the triune, the Godhead, he, he, what does he do? You know, when you and I were born, we were born in sin with a sin nature. You know that nobody ever taught you how to do wrong? You just knew how to do it. My mom and dad had to teach me, to be honest, because but I already knew how to lie. They didn't teach me. They would try to work and put character into me, but no one had to teach me how to be manipulative. I knew how to do it. They had to teach me to be kind and get along with my sisters because I already knew how to fight with them. They didn't teach me. They had to teach me to be humble. Why? Because I already knew how to be prideful. It's the very sin nature that's in all of us that goes contrary to God. But yet what happens is when, when you and I got saved, our spirit, our spirit, which was dead in sins and trespasses, the part of you that connects with God is dead. We're born in sin. But when we got saved from the second Adam, Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. The first Adam got us in the mess. The second Adam gets us out of the mess. With the first Adam, the light was extinguished, the Spirit of God. The second Adam, because of the second Adam, guess what? We can have life again. And His Spirit quickens us. He makes us alive. And now we can know that we belong to Him. My friend, it's a wonderful thing. And you can't buy the Spirit of God. You can't buy salvation. You can't earn it. You see, if I said to Matt, well, Matt, look, I, I got you this gift, and it truly is a gift. And he goes, well, i got to figure out a way to, you know, uh, I'll give, i got to pay him back for it. No, 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 no. You see, I, I, I can't pay back what God did, but because he gave me the gift, I do want to serve him. I do want to please him. I don't please him and serve him so I can be saved. I want to please him and serve him because I have been saved. I don't want to do something for God to be accepted. I want to do something for God because I have been accepted. My friend, it's important. He had a twisted view of salvation. But the spirit of discernment was in Peter, able to recognize the man for a fraud. His profession of faith was worthless. His baptism meaningless. He was as lost as he'd ever been. He wasn't following Christ. He was following signs and wonders. And number three, we find this, a wrong view of sin in verses 22 through 24. Now, again, Peter comes, and, and again, he's been pretty strong with him. He said, verse 21, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. But Peter's not done. He's been hard on him, but now he's about to give him some hope. Repent thereof of this, of this thy wickedness and pray God. If perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, cry out to God, repent of your sin. Cry out to God that God might forgive you. And then he said, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken of come upon me. You see, now Peter treats Simon as an unsaved man, or, or uh, Simon. Peter had the heart of a soul winner. He urged Simon to repent. It wasn't too late for him to be saved. His false profession could be replaced with a genuine conversion. The essential prerequisite for regeneration is repentance. And there had been no repentance in Simon's life. Uh, John Phillips said this, The first work of the Holy Spirit in a human heart is to convince of sin of righteousness and of judgment to come, of the nature of sin, of the need for righteousness and the nearness of judgment. What we have today is a profession without possession of the Spirit of God. It's conversion without repentance. It's religion without the Holy Spirit or riddled with misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, he said, Simon, he disguised it very well. He pretended to be a believer. He had deceived the saints, but he had not deceived the Holy Spirit. He said, this man's heart was seething in a cauldron of gall. He was in the bondage of bitterness. 
He had deeply resented his loss of influence and power, and he was bitterly jealous of the evangelists and the apostles. He envied their power. His crafty mind had seen a way to recoup of his own waning influence. If he could only get his hands on this power, uh, he had hidden the secret rage and resentment, biding his time. He was Satan's tool, and he was Satan's fool. But suddenly he was afraid of Simon Peter. But he wasn't afraid enough of the consequences to change. You see, it's the Bible says that it's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. But look what this man said. And answered Simon. And again, he, Simon says to him, he said, you repent, verse 22, and you pray to God. But in verse 24, Simon said, how about you pray for me that none of these things happen? You see, if he had been under genuine conviction, he would have not asked Peter to pray for him. He would have prayed for himself. You see, what happens is this. Fifty preachers don't pray you into heaven. No one can get you into heaven. No one can buy you into heaven or buy you out of hell. No one can pray you into heaven, though we pray to the Lord of the harvest. We pray to him for souls. No one can pray you in into heaven. No one can pray you out of hell. Friend, if you're here and you do not know Christ as your Savior, if you die in your sins, listen now, the Bible says you're bound for hell. You say, well, man, why are you so whatever on this today? My question is, why isn't every church on this all the time like today? Because we're all going somewhere forever. And I wish I could say that you go to hell for just a little while and you can, somebody can get you out or pray you out. No, no, no. It's everlasting fire. It's eternal life. It's a forever thing. And we're born in sin. And the consequences of our sin is death and hell. It's forever separated with God. It's torment in the flame. Why? Because of my sin, my sin nature, my sin against God. And he's a just God. He's a judge who must judge sin. And the payment of my sin is death and hell forever. And Simon, he wanted to buy it. He thought he could earn it. He thought he could get it. And Peter said, no, you're wrong. Repent and pray to God. Pray to God for forgiveness. And you know what? He said, how about you just pray for me? I don't want God. I just don't want problems from God. I don't want God. I just want the blessings from God. I don't want a, a God, but I just want the home that God could give me. I don't want God, I just want the protection of God. I don't want God, I want the blessings of God. I want all the things God has to offer, I just don't want God. It's a very sad thing. If history tells us correctly, he becomes the father of Gnosticism. False anti-God, heresy, teaching, indoctrinated, and it's been uh, battling the church through the centuries. As far as we'd ever know, Simon never repents. Later on, we're going to find the Ethiopian eunuch, and we're going to compare the two. We're going to find the Ethiopian eunuch who, again, was in the book. We have the Ethiopian eunuch who was searching. We'll find the Ethiopian eunuch who responded, was sensitive to the Savior. You'll find a total difference that's there. One wanted God. One only wanted what God had to offer. One repented. One would not repent. One cried out to God. The other would not. And so they're lined out side by side. You say, why would God put this in this chapter for? Because it's a big deal that we're all going somewhere forever. If you're watching today online, if you're here in person, I'm telling you this. If you die without Christ, you will go to hell forever. Well, you church guys, you're just all crazy. Okay. And one day when we're, we're all dead and gone, we live 70, 80 years. If I'm wrong and the Bible's wrong, then I wasted my life being religious. But by the way, it's been a good life. It's been a good life. I've been blessed. Man, I'm, I, matter of fact, if this is just a make-believe fantasy and I'm weak-minded, don't wake me up because I've really enjoyed the blessings of God. I've enjoyed all that he's given to me. He's been good. I've enjoyed the peace, the, the things he's given me. Oh, he's been so good to me. But if the Bible's right and you're wrong and you die, you're going to wake up somewhere forever, either in the presence of God or, 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 or away from God, away from his presence forever. You're going to wake up in hell and torment of the flame. If we could hear from Simon the sorcerer today, I think he would sound a lot like the rich man. Remember the rich man in the Lazarus? Remember the rich man? He woke up and he was in torments of the flame. 
And he cried, he said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his fingers in water and touch them to my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. He was answered, he cannot come. There's a great gulf fix between he and you. He said, well, then he said this. Here's the next cry. It was a cry of misery. But then he cried out for a missionary. He said, would you send Lazarus back from the dead? Because I've got five brothers. And I don't want them to come to this place. Isn't that amazing? A cry of misery. And then he cried for a missionary. Send somebody to my family. And he said, he said, they've got Moses and the prophets. It's speaking of the Old Testament. He says, look, but they won't believe that. But if one came back from the dead, they would believe. He said, if they won't believe the, the Bible, if they don't believe the word of God, they won't believe even though that one came back from the dead. If we could open up today, and it's been some 2,000 years since Simon went out into eternity. If he went out into eternity without God, and we could hear Simon today, he would beg everybody to, to make sure that they knew Christ. They had a genuine profession of their faith. He would, he would beg others to go tell others about Jesus Christ around the world, lest they come to this place of torment. You see, Philip had been preaching from the Word of God, and they responded. And they responded with joy. Verse number 8, and there was great joy in that city. There was great joy. They're believing. They're following the Lord. They're identifying with God in baptism. You see, when I stand in the water, it makes a cross. I'm going to be baptizing in just a second. I'm going to be baptizing Tucker today. And, and, and Franks will get baptized soon, right? And Sarah. We're going to go guys will get baptized together. I'm excited. You're going to stand in that water, and you're identifying with Christ. Death. In that water, I'm identifying with him in burial. I'm coming up out of that water, and I'm identifying Christ the resurrection. You see, water doesn't wash away my sin. Jesus does. Jesus saves. It identifies me. When I fell in love with my wife, it was private in my heart. I felt the first. And privately on a Sunday afternoon uh, in front of a fireplace for the first time, I told her I loved her. And then later on, on a cold, wet night uh, in December, I asked her if she'd marry me. But you know what? Then later on, there was a day in front of my friends and family where I publicly declared my love for her. I will honor you and I will cherish you. I will prefer all others above you. You only unto me for as long as we both shall live. That we made covenants together to each other. You see, we follow the Lord in that baptism and we're sharing with friends and family. I identify with Christ. I'm with Christ. I'm in him and he's in me. The old man's dead. There's a new man inside of me. It's identifying with Christ. But my friend, it's a wonderful thing. But, but first of all, it follows salvation, putting our faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. It's what Christ did for us on the cross. But yet Simon didn't know. The story is left unfounded, and we find nothing more response from him. Again, history would tell us he became the father of Gnosticism. And these men, Peter and John, went on, verse 25, and, and there when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem. But on the way to Jerusalem, they preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans, and, and more people are coming to Christ, and, and more people are coming to Christ, and the word of God is being fulfilled, and, and more people are coming to Christ. Here's my question for you today. Do you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven? I'm not trying to talk you into something. I'm not trying to talk you out. I'm saying this is you and God. This is you and God. Does the Spirit of God live in you? Was there a day and a time that you, like Nicodemus, who didn't quite understand it, that, but he was born again? Not born of his mother, but now this time a spiritual birth that he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And Nicodemus became a believer. And by the way, it was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who's begging for the body of Christ openly. As old Nicodemus. Friend, has there been a time, and you don't know how to know an exact date. Somebody may not know their birthday. Uh, you hear stories of yesteryear from people in the 1800s, and maybe they were poor people or whatever it was, and they didn't know exactly when's your birthday. I don't know. I think I was born around this time. Look, you don't have to know your birthday to know that you were born, right? And you don't have to know your spiritual birthday to know that you were born again. But you know this, I was born again. Christ in me. Christ, I received him. I received the gift of God. I've had a gift today, and I wanted to give my 
I've had a way to somebody, and I said, okay, I want to give this to you. But you've got to earn it for me. You're going to have to work. And, and I, I, I need my, my fence stained. Well, it's not a gift. Well, I, I need you to give me this much money. It's not a gift. The only way you get a gift is you just take it. No strings attached. But the gift of God is eternal life, heaven, forgiveness. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the door. And if you're going to come to him, if you're going to have heaven, if you're going to have the forgiveness, you go through the person of Jesus Christ. If you can do it, if you have any part of it, if you can earn it, if you can do it by your good works, if you can do any of it, then Jesus' death on the cross was in vain. It was a waste. But it wasn't in vain. Why? Because for all have sinned. And all come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. My friend, have you put your faith and trust in the Lord? If you have, every believer ought to praise and glorify God. We ought to humble ourselves. We ought to bow our, our head, bend our knee and say, God, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me. Why? why? It's his unmerited favor. It's his blessing. It's his grace. Uh, friend, if you're here and you're saved and you know someone who's not saved, then we ought to. We can't pray them into heaven, but we can pray. We can lift them their name up before the Lord. If we lift him up, he'll draw all men unto himself. We lift up Jesus. We point. We pray. We pray for that God would save them and draw them. We lift their name up before the throne. But friend, if you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, why would you leave without knowing? You don't join a church to go to heaven? You don't give money to go to heaven? Again, you don't turn over a new leaf? You'd have to turn over the whole tree. You can't do it. You don't jump in the water? You put your faith and trust in Christ alone. I'm not super old. I haven't been pastoring for a super long time, almost 17 years. And in that year, I say this often. I've seen somebody in every decade of life die up through the 90s. I've done funerals from infants all the way into 90s. We're all going to go somewhere forever. There have been some phenomenal moments of people that have come to Christ, and, and just a little while later they were gone. Of a man in Missouri, and I went over, and he, uh, a lady said to me on a Sunday, can you come see my dad? He's, he, he went into hospice last night. I said, yes. Uh, she said, I think he'll be there for a few weeks, a month or so. I said, well, let's go by. And we set up a day for, to go by and see him like on a Tuesday, like two days later. She called me the next day on Monday. She said, Pastor, he's going down quick. Can you come? I drove over into Missouri, and there he was in the hospice, and he had just lost his power to speak. But he was awake, and I said, hi. I'm, and by the way, when I came into the room, man, people were getting out of the way. Not because I'm anything, but the gospel either attracts or it repels, right? I sat down by his bed. I said, uh, your daughter's here. and She goes to church here. And I said, uh, she says, you don't have much time left on this earth. He shook his head, no. Tears began to roll. I said, you know, when you die, you're going to go somewhere forever, aren't you? And nod his head. And I began to talk to him about sin and the penalty of sin. I said, the Bible says if you die in your sin, you're going to be headed to hell. But if you know Christ, and I went through, I said, where do you think you're headed to today? Or do you know for sure? Are you trying to figure that thing out? And he looked and took that finger and he pointed down. I said, you don't know Christ? No. I went through it though and then I gave him the gospel. Not just the bad part that he's a sinner, but I told him of the most wonderful part that Jesus saves sinners. He's the Savior. He wouldn't be the Savior if he didn't save sinners. I told him that he loved him and he died for him. And he couldn't earn him, he can't buy him. But if you would just receive him and there... He and I went, and he couldn't speak. We went through and prayed, and he tried to mumble along, and he cried out to God, and man, he was grabbing my hand. He was praying, talking to God, and, and he got finished. He looked up, oh, tears running down. I said, hey, sir, did you, did you get that settled today? He nodded. I said, if something happened to you, or I said, when something happens to you, where are you going? He looked up, and tears ran down. I said, you put your faith and trust. He nodded his head, and boy, he clapped. I said, look, I got to go. I know you're tired. Can I tell you? Just really soon, you're about to wake up in the presence of the Lord. 
I said, it's going to be the most wonderful thing. He loves you. Even though you're, you're coming in the last few seconds, the last few minutes of life, you know, he loves you. He will forgive you. It's going to be, I can't wait. You're going to see things that we read about in the Bible. And, man, we rejoiced. So I got in my car. I drove home. By the time I got to the church, his daughter called and said, Dad's gone. Wasn't God so gracious that he gave him one more chance? How do you know this is not your last chance? How do you know? I hope nothing happens to any of us on the way home. I hope you live a long, healthy, wonderful life. But if it did, when you wake up, you'll either be in the presence of the Lord or you'll be in a polar opposite, 100 degree, 180 degree difference. You'll be far from God. You'll be in torments of the flame where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. I don't believe you. Well, it doesn't matter what I think and say, but it does matter what God says. But there's good news. Jesus saves sinners. He loves the whole world. For whosoever, put your name in there, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Oh, happy day. Simon missed it. Simon heard Peter. Peter's talking to him. Simon heard one of the great layman preachers from Acts 6 and Philip, Philip the missionary, Philip the evangelist, and he missed him. He missed it. Judas kissed the door of heaven and missed him. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. And he has arms wide open and says, come to me. Spirit and the bride say, come. You say, who's the bride? Bride of Christ. Folks who know the Lord, right? Come on. Why would you wait? Why would you delay? Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Every head bowed, every eye closed. So our pianist comes today. If you're here and Christ has uh, saved you, you ought to just come find a few moments and glorify and praise his name. You know that you put your faith and trust to him. Whoo, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. If you're here today and you know someone that needs Christ as their Savior, and you ought to come and lift their name up before the throne of grace. You ought to come and pray for them. Lord, would you save them? Lord, would you, would you work on their life? Would you say, Lord, give me an opportunity to share the good news with them? If you're here and you don't know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, hey, don't leave without knowing. With no one looking around today, I'd never embarrass you. Just me. I, I just want to know so I can pray for you. Again, I can't pray you into heaven. But if you're here and you'd say this, preacher, I, I don't know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. Maybe, preacher, I do know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. If you're here today and you'd say this, I do know. There's no doubt in my heart and my mind. There was a day I put my faith and trust in you. With no one looking around, if you know that for sure, would you raise your hand as a testimony of that? I'm on my way to heaven. I ask Jesus in my heart. Thank you. Put your hand back down. If you're here, though, and you would say this, preacher, something happened to me. I'm worried I'm a Simon. Not that I'm a sorcerer, but I'm worried that I'm, I'm not on my way to heaven. I'm worried that if I die, I don't know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. With no one looking around, I won't embarrass you. But you'd say, preacher, would you, would you pray for me? If you're like that this morning, would you just raise your hand? Preacher, would you remember me in prayer? I won't embarrass you. Preacher, remember me in prayer. I'm not for sure. Friends, I want to tell you what. Jesus loves you. He'll save you. He'll forgive you. There's a Simon and there's an Ethiopian eunuch. One a friend of God. One, a, one who stayed in enmity with God. He could have been forgiven. Why? But he tried to earn a gift instead of receive the gift. 